Hello and welcome to Chumbology, a Chumbawamba anthology podcast uh, in which we talk about one of the most overlooked bands of all time, track by track, going through their whole discography. Uh, Today's song is an interlude beginning to take, which is track six on Chumbawamba's debut album. Pictures of starving children sell records, starvation charity, and rock and roll lies and traditions. I just gotta get through it as fast as I can now, because it's like I just want to point out a long album title. That that on the official vinyl version, the the first way that this was ever released, it was an interlude beginning to take it back, not beginning to take. I know that's what it says on their bandcamp, but uh I think they made a, an error there. It also says beginning says beginning to take on Spotify too, which may seem like just lazy work on Spotify's part, but yeah, it's pretty funny that this is just yet another uh, example of how these songs all have many different titles. Yeah. They are all uh, <laughs> all over the place with what we actually call them. Um, so I suppose I should call it beginning to take it back because that's what the original source says. But uh, all of my notes say beginning to take, so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Well, that's what Chumbawamba did. They did whatever they wanted, yeah. so... <laughs> I'm just gonna start calling this song Kevin. Like... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so this is this is, uh, this is our sixth episode, and um, I wanted to, real quick, uh, do a follow-up to last week when Teddy said uh, no, no one good has ever won a Nobel Prize. Um, what was it exactly that you said? You said, like, people with Nobel Prizes should get the guillotine? Yeah, probably, probably something like that, but that, that no one good has ever won a Nobel Prize, and I stand by that. I, I, I can I can add at least one more example to uh, support your theory that uh, just this past week, uh, the Nobel Prize Committee awarded their literature prize to uh, Peter Handke, an Austrian writer who has publicly denied genocide in Bosnia Great. during the Bosnian War in the early 90s. So that's cool. Sounds on brand. <laughs> Sounds about right. You know, as far as I know, Bob Dylan hasn't ever denied any genocide, but, you know, the, it's not a good look for the Nobel yeah, Prize committee there. It's not too late. He's still got some time left. That is true. Is, he is, is Bob getting Dylan alive? Old. Is he dead? Uh, yeah, he's he's one of the ones who's still alive. Not for long. Yeah. Fuck Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bob Dylan. He's all right. Chumba Woman definitely has a song where they talk shit about Bob Dylan. So we'll, yeah. we'll find that later on. <laughs> There's no way he, he got out of this uh, scathe free. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, so the song beginning to take it back or beginning to take or Kevin or whatever you want to call it, because uh, there are no rules here on Chumbology. Um, it's for once kind of a triumphant song. Yeah, this song uh, discusses the liberation of uh, Nicaragua from U.S. occupation. And before we dive into the lyrics, I just want to go ahead and read um, this song on the Chumbawamba vinyl has both like an an excerpt in the beginning and then an excerpt mm-hmm. at the end. So before we talk about the lyrics, I'll read the excerpt in the beginning. In tiny Nicaragua, a real challenge to poverty is being made. 
Since the overthrow of the Somoza government in 1979, health services, education, shelter, and basic women's and workers' rights have reached the majority of people for the first time. The gains made by the Nicaraguan people are now threatened by the massive U.S. campaign to destabilize and overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua. The U.S. is campaigning to isolate Nicaragua by enforcing an economic blockade and by actively and financially supporting the Contra guerrillas. The Nicaraguan Solidarity Campaign is working in Britain to support the fight against Reagan's efforts to return Nicaragua to a U.S.-backed, hungry dictatorship. They may be contacted at 20 Compton Terrace, London, NI2VN. <laughs> so that's pretty cool that Chumbawamba is just out there being just like, hey, um, here is the literal address of the people that are fighting against this thing. If you, yeah. a 16-year-old who bought this record, want to do something to help or send money or I don't know yeah. exactly what they were hoping to do by uh, reaching out to their fans like that, but, but it really follows that tradition of Chumbawamba putting their money where your, their mouth is instead of just like singing about something by actively mm-hmm. doing everything in their power and everything with their reach as a band to try and uh, spread awareness and help out those in need. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Like it, it, it's almost like they were using their platform be- long before we ever like the word platform ever became such a hot button. Like, or I'm going to start that again. It's almost like they were using their platform to spread a message long before we ever started talking about things like platforms in air quotes, like on on Twitter, or YouTube, or whatever, and like like discussing how important it is to notice how notable people use their platforms. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like there was, there was a long while there where you could be a musician and kind of just do and say whatever you wanted on the side and people mm-hmm. would kind of ignore it. Like a lot of classic rock figures that Chumbawamba does so pointedly take shots at on this album and on later albums really weren't that great of people. Yeah. Now in, in our current culture, we've kind of gotten to like a hyperized version of that where people really kind of seem to care more about like the brand and the message behind a band instead of their music. And I'm not going to, get into whether or not that that's a good or a bad thing but um it's definitely different to see chumbawamba banned from the time period where you could get away with like fucking 14 year olds uh using their message to instead of doing that uh singing about the nicaraguan u.s occupation and actually like listing places where you can go and uh donate your time and money yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty rad um so as you may uh, have picked up on by just listening to Teddy read the bit on the back of the vinyl there, there is a lot to dig into in this conflict um, that they're talking about in this song. And we are not about to pretend that we are historians here. So I, I, I want to address that up front. This is a conflict that um, this is a conflict that I, for the most part, learned about on Wikipedia while uh, preparing notes for this episode, which... Shout out to Wikipedia for being a free open source knowledge base because that's anarchy in action, baby. But um, yeah, I just, I just want to disclaim that up front. Like, we are not experts. We in are this, 100% uh, not experts on anything except for Chumbawamba. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're chum- <laughs> we are Chumbologists by trade. So, you know, um, t- t- take, take what we're about to talk about. Uh, yeah, use this as a jumping off point in, in your own research. Use it as a way to educate yourself further if this is something that you find interesting or, or wish to know more about. But do not take our word as 
exact because once again we are giving you the summary of a of a Wikipedia yeah. summary at least as and, far uh, as as far as a way to understand like the lyrics in the song it is this is not a historical podcast we do try and delve in to talk about the things that Chumbawamba really relates to but as we said not historians so all that being said a brief overview of the conflict they're talking about um the U.S. had occupied Nicaragua several times throughout the 20th century, starting in 1912, and the Sandinista National Liberation Front formed to resist the U.S. occupation and to overthrow the ruling government in Nic- Nicaragua that enabled the occupation, which is what the line, um, and the people are learning to take back their lives as the country will change, Sandinista survives. Uh, that's what that's referring to. Um, the new government... Uh, put into place by this Liberation Front uh, focused on literacy, education, healthcare, and gender equality. It's important to note that there are alleged human rights abuses by the Sandinistans, including mass murder and ethnic cleansing of indigenous peoples in Nicaragua. But this is where it starts to get tricky. Um, It's hard to find documentation that supports these allegations that aren't linked in some way to the CIA. And... Ronald Reagan, that fucking piece of shit son of a bitch, uh, politicized the alleged human rights abuses in an effort to justify U.S. intervention in Nicaragua via the CIA's Contra program. Um, To the point that uh, the Human Rights Watch, which is a nonprofit organization that, like, documents human rights abuses throughout the, uh, the world, uh, stated in a 1989 report on Nicaragua, Uh, Under the Reagan administration, U.S. policy toward Nicaragua's Sandinista government was marked by constant hostility. This hostility yielded, among other things, an inordinate amount of publicity about human rights issues. Almost invariably, U.S. pronouncements on human rights exaggerated and distorted the real human rights violations of the Sandinista regime, and ex exculpated i should have read this quote before we started i don't know what that (laughs) word is um basically i think what it's saying is that uh it it exaggerated allegations of human rights abuses in order to advance the agenda that reagan was pushing through the cia and the contra program yeah which is which is a classic united states move is to always exaggerate the the things that other countries are doing as a way to install our own regimes for almost always economic prosperity in the United States, which goes back to all the things Chumbawamba are singing about, about the the fact that we are complacent in all of these cycles and that all of the, not all of the, but most of the prosperity that we know as a, like a quote unquote first world country comes from the exploitation of those elsewhere. I also just want to throw in real quick that uh, you can now pre-order a Ronald Reagan uh, Funko Pop figure. And <laughs> if that is not a sign of the, the coming apocalypse and of uh, capitalism uh, eating itself, then I really don't know what it is. Oh my god, that makes me want to fucking die. <laughs> You know, um, I'm 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 not a terribly religious person, but uh, there's this idea that the apocalypse will be brought on by an antichrist, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm the, not the antichrist is Funko Pops. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I tweeted um, this out the other day, which you probably can't see because I put my Twitter on private. But um, well, not Dan can see it, but the rest of you, you plebs listening, may not have the opportunity. But uh, you say as if anyone listens to this that doesn't follow us on Twitter. <laughs> 
Um, maybe. <laughs> um, if you collect Funko Pops, you're going to get the guillotine after the revolution. So ditch all of those now before we find out about it. <laughs> find a way to repent. <laughs> um, but you know, like, okay, like, again, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a historian and that I fully understand the intricacies of this conflict. Uh, I'm also not going to deny that the Nicaraguan government committed mass murder, because all governments are bad at the end of the day, and I fully believe that a, like, progressive uh, liberation movement, once actually in power, could start to do corrupt things like that. But regardless of the truthfulness behind the allegations of human rights abuses, the mis- the the information about this has been so obscured by the U.S. government and just used to justify our innervation, uh, our, sorry. The information about this has definitely been obscured by the U.S. government and used to justify our intervention against a South American government with progressive ideas about education, healthcare, and gender equality, and... I am especially skeptical of the way that it's been portrayed by the U.S. because this is a country that we have a history of trying to exploit for resources, and Ronald Reagan is the fucking devil. Um, <laughs> Definitely. It, it reminds me a lot of, you know, to make a comparison to something that has happened in our lifetimes, you know, the way that the United States used the 9-11 attacks as justification to invade Iraq, Right. And oh, yeah, how and the, uh, the the false promise that there would be nuclear weapons over there, right? And, and how like Saddam Hussein was a, a a leader who was committing human rights violations, but the U.S. didn't really care about that. They cared about no. they cared about exploiting the resources in Iraq. So the United States loves human rights violations. We continue to work with many countries that are like world renowned for them yeah it's just for us it's uh, a way to excuse our uh, exploits overseas yeah. this time for oil um in nicaragua i believe was for uh like fruit and coffee mm-hmm. i believe was like the, the main exports out of nicaragua yeah. and like to that point it's not just that we work with countries that commit human rights abuses the united states commits human rights abuses oh, because like i said all governments are bad, right? Like, the United States is actively, like, putting people who are trying to immigrate here into concentration camps. So, like, anytime... I just think it's important anytime the United States starts to use, like, an alleged human rights abuse as justification for invading a foreign country, it's important to raise an eyebrow and kind of look into that, you know? And not just take what the government says at its at it at, at face value definitely the the lyrics on this song pretty much uh just go over everything that we just discussed it gives a brief history of uh the nicaraguans and like why we are exploiting them as and uh, discusses the sandinistas and how they're advancing the country um there's a, a lyric in the the main chorus and is uh, and the people are learning to take back their lives as the country will change. Sandinistas survive. Women are winning what they've never known. The power to organize outside the home, starting to find what is equal and fair. Ensuring that this revolution is shared. Regaining the lost chances, demanding much more. Running the factories, fighting the war. So, at least from Chumbawamba's eyes, that they viewed the Sandinistas as a 
party of the people mm-hmm. and at least what they're singing about references um, the, the fact that what Dan had mentioned before that women are becoming more empowered that gender equality was something that was brought to Nicaragua during this uh, this regime change yeah and then the latter half of the song uh, kind of nods to the fact that like a revolution is an ongoing project um, with the line nobody claims that it's over and done there's too much depends on enlistment and guns uh, and raising their children, filling their plates, and chasing the Contras to Washington State. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of like a list of things that still uh, are still active problems. Like, And I think that's important in any time you start thinking about revolution, anytime you start thinking about, like, uh, active change in your either your society or in your community, the work is never done. You know, here it's like there's still, there's still so much violence in Nicaragua, at, at least as portrayed you know, in the song, and they're still working on actually access to food and such as an ideal that they're striving towards, and uh, there was still a Contra presence um, in the uh, in the country even after the um, Liberation Front took over. Um, the, the line here that says, and chasing the Contras to Washington State, I wonder if, like, that is... Uh, just they said Washington State so that they could rhyme with the word plates, or if Chumbawamba actually thinks that Washington, D.C. is a state. Which is fair, because if you're from Britain, you're allowed to not know anything about the U.S. because I don't know jack shit about Britain. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially, I can imagine it is very confusing that we have both a city and a state called Washington. Right. Not, Not a very smart move on our part. And the city doesn't belong to any state. Yeah. And, and technically, it's not a city, it's a commonwealth, and there's a difference there. Right. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people who are much smarter than us could go into. Yeah, but, but also, <laughs> also, I don't fucking care, because it's all stolen land anyway, and nothing means anything. 100% true. It's all just different designations of us stealing land from other people. Exactly. So I'm going to read the, uh, the quote at the end of the lyrics from this album. And that is, uh, following the victory of President Allende's uh, socialist government in Chile in 1970, a number of record companies left, while others were nationalized. EMI, however, avoided nationalization and instead chose to operate as a capitalist country- company committed to releasing anti-capitalist music. When in 1973, Allendale's government was replaced by a military dictatorship, EMI stopped releasing radical folk artists from which it had been making its profits. Instead, it vetted its catalog to ensure ideological purity and dropped many of its traditional folk musicians. Under both regimes, EMI appeared to act as the dutiful servant of its political masters without compromising its commitment to profit-making. The same applies in South Africa. That's a quote from John Street. I don't know who the fuck John Street is, but good-ass quote. <laughs> that is a good quote. I love how often um, in this in this record, uh, Chumbawamba takes direct shots at EMI because that's the label they eventually signed to. <laughs> it's really funny that yeah. they, I mean, quote-unquote, sold out. To follow up on that John Street quote about EMI releasing uh, anti-capitalist and folk music down in uh, South America during this time period, I just want to highlight a project that someone else is doing that I heard about um, on Pod Damn America. Let me see if I can find the actual episode it was. <laughs> a shout out to Pod Damn America. Um, they did an interview with Josh McPhee, who has been spending time putting together a history and almost like an 
anthology of radical record labels and their role in music and politics. And just from the sound of that, it kind of sounds like they'd be talking about like punk labels in the U.S., anarchist and communist labels run here that are mostly run by like white teenagers out of their parents' basements. But it really does do a good job of uh, encompassing like a, a global picture of all these record labels that were releasing um, socialist and anarchist and communist music outside of uh, the U.S. walls, and I'm sure that there are plenty in South America that he discusses. So we'll put a link to that episode as well as a link to the uh, the project that he has been working on doing that. That sounds sick. Yeah, it was, it was a really cool interview. I definitely recommend checking it out if the concept of like non-capitalist enterprises, especially those operating outside of the U.S. walls, uh, interests you at all. Yeah, and uh, now that we've mentioned Pod Damn America on our podcast, they owe us one. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how right, it works. So, so uh, <laughs> it's a system of favors. Um, so uh, there's a lot to unpack in the lyrics of this song, and like we said at the beginning, if 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 you take our discussion of it as anything, take it as a jumping off point. Take it as a uh, take it as a place to start if you're interested in learning more like just to make you like we are just trying to make you aware of the fact that this is a thing in world history um start your own podcast specifically about nicaragua yeah and we'll come on it to talk about the fact that chumbawamba mentions it in a song yeah yeah that sounds good um so yeah great (laughs) so uh the music of this song let's shift gears here um it's interesting. It is not at all uh, like the rest of the album. I feel like no, it's... It, re- it really hits different. Yeah. I feel like it's almost a preview of the latter, latter like, folksy records Chumbawamba would put out. Yeah, this, this song really sounds like a revolutionary march or something like that. Yeah. They've got that kind of... Uh, there's definitely a term for it, but that, that kind of that, that snare beat in the background... Mm-hmm. Very, like a marching the, the, snare, yeah. Yeah, like a marching snare. They definitely, the, the lyrics repeat, they're very easy to sing along to. It's a lot of horns and other, is, is there, is that an accordion on this? I, I don't know. I'm yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 it sounds like a lyric, or it sounds like a song you would hear being played in the streets during the revolution. Yeah, and it almost it almost feels like um it almost feels like a a, a a tribute to like the the protest music from the '60s, um which is kind of cool, uh but it's definitely like Chumbawamba's own spin on that kind of thing, um yeah I don't know there's not much to say about the actual musicality of this song because it's very it's very sparse and like pretty simple pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's good. But, I mean, it's really yeah. not my cup of tea, and it's definitely a little jarring coming off of uh, more whitewashing, which is one of like the the heavier songs on this album. Mm-hmm. Really, kind of breaks it up before diving back into another one of the uh, the heavier songs on this album, uh, which we will be discussing next week: uh, "Dutiful Servants" and "Political Masters." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it though. I like I like the placement of it on the album because uh, it, it it's like. I mean, it does work as an interlude, which is yeah. the name of the song. Which is exactly it what it is. It gives you a little bit of a break, but um, yeah. as as per Chumbawamba, just because it's an interlude doesn't mean that it's not chock full of political right. references and messages. Yeah, it's pretty cool the way that um, the way that they kind of spin those conventions on, on their head. Like, uh, 
you know, on a lesser album, songs like this one or like commercial break would just be filler like instrumentals. But no, they they are taking every inch that they can get with this album because I I have to wonder like when they were recording this album when they were this brand new band that you know were just like taking all these risks of like just releasing blatantly anti-capitalist like anti-government music uh like you have to wonder if they had it in their heads like this could be our only shot to ever do this yeah i mean when you start out as a band you're not assuming that you're gonna have like a 14 year right not 14 year but like 14 records that your career is gonna span 30 years you think like all right this is it like we're gonna make this album and this might be the only album we get to make and chumbawamba definitely went balls to the wall with with their first one getting as yeah. much like there there is not a, a second of this album that is not filled with some cutting political commentary for the time and it, it's very easy for us to sit and like look at these things and sit here and read all of these things on wikipedia but back like this album came out pre-internet and that right. as someone who has grown up with the internet existing from age five on like in my own house it's very weird to think of a time where you as a radical might be learning about these things for the first time through a vinyl like that. And the only yeah. way for you to learn more might be to write to like to write to the Nicaraguan solidarity campaign at that address that they gave you or, or to check out the, the reading list that Chumbawamba lists at the end of this record, which once again is an incredibly cool thing and, and a way to spread their message back in this time that knowledge wasn't as accessible as, as it is today. And while knowledge being accessible today comes with its own brand of problems where it's equally as easy to spread uh, right-wing propaganda and equally as easy to misinform people. It does give us an easy way that we were able to do the research for this podcast in like an hour instead of me and Dan having to drive down to a library and pour over texts and <laughs> read newspaper articles and things like that. So um, good, good on Chumbawamba for, for really going all out there and doing it like squeezing every last drop of radical like thought that they can out of this album like the 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 physical vinyl itself the the back cover is just coated in lyrics and yeah. these quotes and different places that you can go to find out more information on this it's certain in such a tiny font so they could squeeze all of it in and still make it an affordable album there's no uh, pamphlet within it there's there's no lyrical uh pull out it's just all this information is crammed onto the back cover yeah it's pretty sweet i really like this image of um uh, I, th this image you just put in my head of uh a world where the internet doesn't exist where like wikipedia doesn't exist and i have to drive down to the library to do research for our podcast <laughs> where there's no wikipedia but there's still podcasts. but there are still podcasts i mean it's just radio <laughs> shows me me and you could be broadcasting from some radio station we could be on wfmu until we get canceled for oh me swearing on air or something like that <laughs> all right so our next segment which is quickly becoming my personal favorite segment is chumbawamba versus the people in which we uh find the youtube upload of the song we're talking about and just pick out some of the best comments about the songs <laughs> and this one i just i just want to point out that this is the first video that we've taken a look at that has not one not two but three different uploads Whoa. all of these songs have one that was put on by chumbawamba themselves probably through whichever management group they used to 
put their songs on the internet because yeah. I have done that for, for bands I have been in. But then there was always one person who uploaded this music beforehand with, with some sort of uh, slideshow or, or shitty album art or something like that. But this is the first one that has two that were uploaded by people outside of Chumbawamba. And one of them um, has absolutely awful audio quality. And Fucking everyone is garbage very, quality. <laughs> very upset about it. Um, as Owen McShane said seven years ago, pants audio, what were you thinking? <laughs> what does that even fucking mean, pants audio? His name is McSh- Owen McShane, so I assume he's from Britain, so pants probably means something different in Britannese. Or fi- Britannese? <laughs> we're fucking like, I don't know. I mean, I, this is I the get podcast it. where we get canceled for making fun of Britain too much. I, I I guess you know reading the comment pants audio what were you thinking I get what he means so yeah it's it it doesn't matter I guess what it actually means um, my favorite is uh, Slobvinsky which is one of the best <laughs> one of the best YouTube usernames I've ever seen uh, Slobvinsky wrote seven months ago. Uh, in all caps, my fave Chumbawamba, and I take it funny people say in pants audio have heard Chumas play life with pretty similar audio. <laughs> I think a rough translation of that is like it's it's this person's favorite Chumbawamba, and they have seen Chumbawamba play live with pretty similar audio. I don't know. But like, I have no idea. I really appreciate my favorite part of this comment is when they call them Chumas. <laughs> C H U M A S Chumas. Yeah, Slobvinsky, if you're if you're listening to this, come on the show. Yeah, Slobvinsky, this is a standing invite to come talk on Chumbology. <laughs> Only seven months ago, we could track him down. I know. Yeah, we could probably like. It, does YouTube have any sort of like DMing on it? I'm gonna take a look right now. All right, yeah, maybe we should DM Slobvinsky and ask them to come on our podcast. Oh man, Slob- Slobvinsky's got some pretty good uploads on here. <laughs> what are some of the uploads? Um, number one, uh, his oh no, not his most viewed. His second most viewed video with five views is called "Bikers Farewell" in all capital letters. Oh my god, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. There's only one way to find out, and we'll put it in the show notes. Bikers invade Lindley Street. What the hell is go oh my god, YouTube is such a fucking like <laughs> Absolute gem. One of one of the, the last truly weird places on the internet. Yeah. It's literally just a, a sideways video of people on motorcycles. <laughs> my fa- <laughs> My favorite part of Slobvinsky's YouTube channel is that they have two uploads three years ago, and then they have two uploads six months ago. <laughs> yeah, he's he's making a comeback. Yeah. Um the description for Biker's Farewell is in all capital letters, local bike chapter is seen of one of their own full respect for me. So, nothing but respect from Slavinsky here. Pour one out for the for yeah. the lost biker, I guess. <laughs> Damn. Rest, rest in peace, bikers. Farewell. <laughs> if we were a podcast that named its episodes after things we said instead of after the song titles that we are reviewing, uh, this episode would have been called Bikers Farewell. <laughs> Damn. I mean... <laughs> We could also we we could start adding like parentheticals if you want. Like I think that's going to end up being too long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Teddy. Uh, any final thoughts about um, about uh, an interlude beginning to take it back? Um, once again, I'm just thoroughly impressed by Chumbawamba's ability 
to really cram as much political knowledge and tackle as many subjects as they do within one album. That that a song yeah. as simple and catchy and on any other record seemingly unimportant as this one is crammed with knowledge about like the Nicaraguan uh, revolt and that the vinyl itself contains information that someone many years ago would have been able to do radical things with it is really mm-hmm. cool. I really appreciate that. On top of that, it's a catchy ass song. Not really my yep. cup of tea. Not really something I think I would sit down and listen to, but but as an interlude to break up some of the heavier songs on this album, it really serves its purpose well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, you know, my 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 taste in music is a little folksier than yours, so like I I actually really like this song, and I I I think the thing it agreeing with everything you said. The thing that also really impresses me about it is just like it continues to show just how versatile of a band Chumbawamba is. The fact that. You know, like, there's this big divide in their career where suddenly they started putting out folk albums. But just showing that they were able to do that from the beginning is really impressive to me. It was never something that was like, okay, well, now we're now we're going folk. It's like they've always had those folk influences. Yeah. And they just took over more than the punk influences or more than the dance influences later on. So, yeah, it just continues to impress me, like, how versatile this band is, how they can uh, do so many different kinds of things in one album. Um, this is one of the first songs on the album that doesn't have, like, a big radical shift in it uh, partway yeah. through. It also, unfortunately, does not have a sick bass line. It unfortunately does not have a sick baseline, but, you know, uh, we'll get back to those soon. <laughs> yeah, if you're into Chumbawamba for the for the sick baselines, maybe sit this one out. <laughs> or, for, you know, maybe you... take a breather. You know, the, the bass is yeah. needed a day off uh, with all yeah, the... Yeah, for all you bass heads out there. <laughs> for all you bass heads. <laughs> uh, if I had to rate it... Um... This is your time to shine, Dan. you got to come up with something good. It's my time to shine. I usually choke up on these. Uh, if I had to rate it, I would rate it 666 out of 1,000. Um, <laughs> because Ronald Reagan is the devil. Yeah, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it 3 out of 5 Reagan Funko Pops. <laughs> I really can't believe that that's a real thing. I saw it on Twitter and I thought it was a joke. Funko Pops are the most like abhorrent thing in the world to me. I fucking hate them. I cannot think of anything I hate more than Funko Pops. It's just like they managed to boil down something that, while not my cup of tea, but something as cool as like collecting figurines into one single company making the shittiest, ugliest fucking figures. And some of them are worth thousands of dollars. If you yeah. ever pay a thousand dollars for a Funko Pop, someone should shoot you on spot. Like you are a worthless human being. If you have that much money to throw around and you spend it on the ugliest fucking piece of plastic possible, you should be executed at gunpoint. This is a parody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, parody, parody, parody. Parody, parody. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. People are so fucking stupid. Our world deserves to end. I, I'm looking at fun- historical Funko Pops right now, and I'm just getting angry about it. Dude, you don't want a fucking Ruth Bader Ginsburg Funko Pop? Oh, my God. I can't. I cannot go down this road with you right now. That'll be our, that'll be our podcast. A... That'll be our side podcast of the week where we just shit talk Funko Pops. Every episode will be like three and a half hours long. <laughs> I just want to point out that Carmen San Diego is considered a historical figure on the, this <laughs> website. 
that's it. I'm done. Fuck this. I'm done with this planet. <laughs> I can't handle this. I hate this. I just talk about the the leftism of the week, or else I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> Bring me back, Dan. Give me something to believe in. All right, let me let me try here. Um, so, leftism of the week is our uh, closing segment of every of every episode, in which we kind of highlight um, a notable person or organization or uh, or piece of history in leftism or anarchy. And uh, this week, I'm going to talk to you a little bit, real briefly, because uh, we're running a little long here, about youth climate change activists. Um, by now, you've probably heard of Greta Thunberg, uh, the Swedish girl who is uh, in all of those uh, viral videos um, where she addresses the UN about climate change. Um, and she rules. She's fucking awesome. But in classic media fashion, all of the attention for youth climate activism is going to a single white person. And uh, it's a much broader movement than just this one person. And so I just wanted to take a brief moment to draw some attention to some youth climate activists who are people of color that you should know about. Uh, the first is Shia Bastida, a climate justice activist based in New York City. Uh, she's originally from Mexico City and is a member of the Otomi Toltec Indigenous Peoples. She's a leader in Fridays for the Future, an organization that stages student walkouts and protests calling for anti-climate change action from the elected representatives in the area that they're doing the protest. Uh, Fridays for the Future is an organization that operates all over the world, and they combine direct action with cutting class, which are two pretty rad things. Uh... The second is Leah Namugurwa, a Ugandan activist for climate justice who is also a member of Fridays for the Future. Uh, she was inspired by Greta Thunberg, but also by famine caused by climate change-induced drought and landslides in Uganda. Uh, I wanted to include her because I think this is a great example of the idea of thinking globally and acting locally. You know, she is considering the global crisis that is climate change, but acting... Uh, acting to help the way this global crisis directly impacts her community and her country. Also, she's only 14, which fucking rules. You know, when I was 14, I was playing in shitty metalcore bands and trying <laughs> cigarettes for the first time, you know? Literally, like, that's what I was thinking when you were writing about this. Like, absolutely no shade on Greta Thunberg, uh, because she is doing an absolute great thing. Um, we obviously want to highlight people from all over the country who are doing this, but, like... Anyone who is 16 who is doing this instead of playing in metalcore bands is way better than Dan and I. <laughs> yeah, like 10,000%. Um, and then the last of the last one I'm going to highlight here is Jerome Foster II. He is a 16-year-old activist from Washington, D.C., who is the editor-in-chief of The Climate Reporter, a youth-run blog dedicated to sharing information about climate change and activism. And uh, I wanted to include him because he has this quote that uh, I think really sums up the youth climate movement, like, brilliantly. Um, it goes, adults take note of this message. Young people like myself should not have to take on this burden. This is supposed to be your job, but now we have to go on hunger strikes, meet with government officials, and start a global movement for you to even notice. <laughs> and, you know, like, it's true, like... We shouldn't have to have these like literal teenagers as our guiding lights in this uh, in this in this crisis. But 
you know, so far, I have seen these handful of teenagers, uh, you know, these three, Greta Thunberg and others, like, they're doing a hell of a lot more to spread awareness and, like, organize about climate justice than fucking any elected representative has done. So, good on these kids. They fucking rule. Uh, there, there are even more of them than we have time to list. Uh, most of this info is lifted from a list put together by earthday.org, so we'll also include that link in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, you know, follow these kids on social media. Um, yeah. They're doing great stuff. It's worth making note that as great as, like, Greta, Greta Thunberg and anyone from, like, the, the Western world doing this is, is a lot of these people are, are fearing for their futures, but a lot of people in countries, especially in the global south, especially around the equator, are yeah. already getting hit by the effects of uh, like climate change. That yep. while this is something that that's looming over our heads in the near distant future, and while that's not, while that is important, and while that is still scary, this is affecting real people right now. And it's worth noting that our idea of this being like an impending doom thing is already doomed for a lot of people who aren't as privileged mm-hmm. as we are. Yeah. So. Um. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's about it for this week. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to bounce back from that and uh, yeah. button this up with a funny little funny little joke, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I did just send you a link on Facebook to the Royal Duke and Duchess uh, Funko Pop sets. <laughs> that's it. The podcast's <laughs> over. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Chumbology, a Chumbawamba anthology podcast. The music that you heard on today's show was an interlude beginning to take by Chumbawamba off of their first album, Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records. As usual, we don't really own the rights to this, but no one has stopped us so far, so we're just going to keep doing it. If you like what you've heard, you can check out more of our podcasts um, on Spotify or Apple podcast whatever it's called now anywhere else that you would get your podcast you can find us on twitter at chumbology rocks or you can find our website at chumbology.rocks the c-h-u-m-b-o-l-o-g-y r-o-c-k-s